Welcome back to another edition of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast. Thank you for joining us on this Friday night in February, February 5th, 2021. We've got Jeremy Spector from his COVID bunker there in uh, Northern Cook County. How are you doing tonight, Jeremy? Doing very fine in my COVID bunker. It's nice and cozy in here. Nice. I got to ask you too, uh, today, how are you feeling or how do you feel about Big Ten men's basketball officiating? I am not happy about Big Ten's basketball <laughs> officiating. Uh, I mean, generally, I'm not a big, you know, yell at the refs type guy, blame the refs, blame the umps. But uh, that game uh, in Indiana, in Bloomington, Indiana, the other night was poorly officiated every which way. <laughs> if I was an Indiana fan, I'd be mad. If I'm an Illinois I'm a fan, I'm super mad. And, and, you know, and as just a fan of basketball, I'm mad yeah. because that game took three and a half, four, three, four <laughs> Excuse me, three hours, like two and a half hours and 40 minutes. It kind of got stumbled there. Sure. But that was a long game, and it was not like a fun played game. Like, it was no, it, whistle, it, whistle, whistle. Yeah. Second half in particular, the game sort of grinded to a halt. And you don't want that two long-time rivals uh, you know, playing for seating and things like that next month. So, not great. I thought that was something you'd have an opinion on, though, today. Oh, yeah. You um, jacked me but- up at the start. <laughs> That's right. I want to get you excited for what we got to get to tonight. We've got Randall J. Sanders, a couple of stories up in Morton Grove. Randall, how are you doing tonight? Doing well, Ronan. Thanks. How's the arm? Arm is fine. Uh, no issues. We are six days over the first dosage here of COVID-19 for you, Randall. Is it hurting? Does it sting? Are you, are you perfectly fine? There's no discomfort whatsoever. It was uh, a little sore. For about a day maybe and then by monday it was as if nothing had happened excellent excellent well we're excited for the big number two for you randall and getting you fully vaccinated here and then the race is on between jeremy and i it is the battle of illinois and colorado who gets it first to us we'll see how that plays out so we've got jeremy we've got randall i'm ronan i'm excited today because i have prepared all of my food not the cooking of it but the purchasing of my food for the Super Bowl Sunday. And we're going to have a smorgasbord here, gentlemen. So I'm excited. I'm ready to go. I feel like I'm prepared going into the weekend. What do you got? What's on that smorgasbord? There's going to be some pulled pork. Ooh. There's going to be some beef nachos. There uh, are some hot dogs just to kind of get us ready for baseball season. The end of the Super Bowl kind of brings us into spring training. And um, two different types of green chili. New Mexico green chili, Colorado green chili. So we're going big here. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I don't know. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Tom Brady is in it for the 100th time. Randall, who wins Sunday? Who you got? Who, who wins Sunday? I think uh, Mahomes and that offense uh, overcomes that Tampa Bay defense. Uh, Tom Brady, I'm sure, will lead no end of uh, heroic marches down the field. In the end, I think that Chiefs offense is going to be too much for the Tampa defense. Jeremy? Yeah. I'm a Pat Mahomes guy. I, I love Pat Mahomes, maybe because Pat Mahomes pitched for the Cubs, but uh, I got to go Pat Mahomes. And, you know, I've been wrong on everything in this NFL playoffs <laughs> postseason. So I'm wrong. I did, you know, I thought, you know, it'd be Packers versus, uh, you know, in there. So, but I got to go Pat Mahomes. You got to go Cubs. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, hard. On the other hand, though, it's hard to bet against or go against Tom Brady. The guy wins. He always wins. He wins forever in New England. He goes down to Tampa Bay, takes an above average, but not incredible team back to the Super Bowl here and uh, a chance to maybe win it. And it'll be cool to see them be a home team in the Super Bowl. It's something we've always thought about. Yeah. And just, you know, for any of you that are unaware, Pat Mahomes' father 
pitched for the 2002 Cubs, I believe, a relief pitcher. Relief pitcher. That's right. That's right. That's what and I was saying. We're going to be revisiting some 2000s Cubs teams today. Um, a lot to talk about on the podcast today. Uh, Cubs have been active since last week, since Jack Peterson came on board, and that deal was official today. But a couple of pitchers, one for the rotation, one for the bullpen, we'll talk about who they are, what they're bringing to the Cubs, and how that sort of affects the roster as we move into spring training. Um, other teams in the division busy as well. The Milwaukee Brewers making a bit of a statement bringing in a former St. Louis Cardinal. We'll tell you who he is and how he changes who the Brewers are. And then an old friend, World Series hero for the Cubs, Dexter Fowler, on the move. He's going to Anaheim, how this changes the Cardinals, how this uh, changes Joe Madden, all that good stuff in Anaheim we'll talk about. And some big-time Major League Baseball news today, too. The World Series champs have gotten better. They get the National League Cy Young Award winner in uh, Bauer, and a lot to unload there and what this means for the National League West. It really sort of frustrates me, too, as a Cubs fan to see all these other teams making moves, and we're going to talk about a couple of decent arms maybe coming on board for the Cubs and then Marcelo Zuna to Atlanta. He gets four years, 64 million. So a lot to talk about there. We wanted to mix up the um, order though, a little bit on this show today and start off with some trivia. Randall's got an old box score that he's going to dig up for us. But even before we get into that, I just want to note really quickly, this is our fourth episode of behind the yellow line. So we tip our caps this evening to an all time great in Cubs history. One of the great number fours, course i'm talking about a man who had a 13-year major league career two-time all-star neither time with the cubs a man who from day one in the league to when he retired he always looked 40 jeff blouser so wow. a tip of the cap for jeff blouser the 1998 chicago cubs randall you got any other favorite number fours i'll, I'll drop an eric patterson on you Ooh. okay yeah eric patterson number four uh jeremy correct me if i'm wrong eric patterson went to oakland as part of the rich harden deal that's correct i was just about to ask that who was he traded for big package there i'll just obviously his older brother Corey, was a, a big deal big time cubs prospect mm -hmm. the thing i'll never forget about eric patterson though and i don't mean to bemoan the guy or anything he made it to the show but he gets called up to the major leagues you're playing for the Chicago Cubs. You're on a team trying to win ball games, trying to win a division. And he is repeatedly late to the ballpark, resulting in him being, being sent down to Des Moines, Iowa. You have a chance to play at Wrigley Field. You can't get up in the morning. And now you're back in Des Moines. That's not a place you want to be when you've got a chance to be at Wrigley. Yeah, Epat, also a Georgia Tech guy, I believe. Uh, his brother out of high school, but he went to Georgia Tech. And uh, was Josh Fagley a four on this past year's team? Yeah. And he just retired, didn't he? He did just retire yeah. recently, yeah. Uh, a Hoosier, he, great. He, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, say. he he is a, a former Indiana Hoosier, uh, the pride and joy of a town called Terre Haute, Indiana, uh, over on the border there between Indiana and Illinois, and uh, was with the Cubs a little bit last year. He announces his retirement. But those are some of the number fours. I like the Jeff Blouser, though. He signaled the Cubs were going to try to win or something like that in 98. But he was terrible on the Cubs. He was terrible. He, was, he was very, very bad. Amazing at killing the Cubs as a Brave. Yeah. Yeah. He was an all-star in 97. Cubs go out and sign him. He played like 110 games or something in 98. And, hey, they won the wild card. You know, they had an opportunity. Kerry Woods, Sammy, all that good stuff. But um, shooter. the shooter, all those guys in 98. Uh, so tip of the cap to Jeff Blouser as we get started today. But we want to get things going. We've heard a lot of positive feedback about our little trivia segment here. And I like to dig up some obscure, random Cubs trivia, throw it to Jeremy, throw it to Randall. 
And um, I've got, I think, four good questions today. I, I think this is going to be one that the audience is going to like. And as always, it's important that you kind of think through your answer, speak out loud, so to speak, because that's going to trigger some good memories for us. Um, the other thing on that front, too, is we were kind of hoping to have a guest today. He ended up not being able to make it work out. This trivia, series of trivia questions, was a nod to him. We're talking about our friend Ray, big White Sox fan. So naturally, we're going to look at the 2005 Chicago Cubs. Big year for Ray and everything that he had going on. But we're going to revisit the 2005 Chicago Cubs. And Randall, if I were to ask you off the bat, 2005 Chicago Cubs, I mean, what, what resonates with you? Like, what comes to mind first when you think of the 05 Cubs? Derek Lee. No doubt. No doubt. Anybody else, Jeremy, anything else just jump out at you about 05? So 05 outside of D, D, D Lee was 05 the year that Aramis and Lee were the starting first and third at, um, for the all-star game, but 05 and 06 always kind of run together for me. And I know Lee had the monster 05 and he had the wrist injury in 06, but those two years, like they always kind of run together to me. I, I think Ronnie Cedeno played like a hundred games in 05. No names, no names on the backs of the home jerseys. Yeah, that that's right. Those two seasons. Right. Well. I think was 06 also a no name jersey. And that's then they correct. came back. With a season. Those like two years run together. The end of the uh, dusty era, uh, the prelude days, so to speak, not necessarily the best days Definitely. in Chicago. So we go to 2005. The team finished 79 and 83, fourth in the division, drew 3.1 million fans. So typical mid 2000s Cubs, not very good, drew very well, though. And uh, Derek Lee wins the batting title that year, had an amazing season. So two offensive questions, two defensive questions. Number one, naturally, Derek Lee led the team in hits that year with 199. Who finished second and with how many? Jeremy. In 2005, I'm going to say, I'm going to, I'm going to say Nafi Perez. Okay. Randall. Like, yeah. I'm, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah. Throw out the number. My bad. I was going to say with like 160. Cool. I'm going to go uh, Aramis Ramirez for that year, and I'm going to say 170 hits on the season. Okay. So D. Lee finishes number one. Jeremy, you're on the money. Nafi Perez, 157 hits. He's runner-up to D. Lee. Uh, who else he thinks in the top five there after them? Uh, Randall, you mentioned Aram. He was fourth with 140. He was hurt a little bit that year. He only played like 110 or 20 games or something, so... That, that's the difference there. Who else do you think cracked the top five for the 2005 Chicago Cubs? Well, I, uh, Patterson, uh, Corey, was he up there? Uh, maybe Barrett. So Ronnie Cedeno played a lot, but he never got on base. <laughs> I think it was 05 he played a lot. Maybe it was 06. Boy, in 2005, uh, Let's see. Jeremy Burnitz was yeah, on that. There team. you go. Jeremy Burnitz. Jeremy Burnitz, big old number three. With an O, guy. by the way. Yes, Jeremy Burnitz spells his name with an Jer O, which Jeremy I don't understand Burnett's as a fellow Jeremy. Standing out there in right field. Uh, boy, that's that's quite a list. If the if these are the answers, I wonder if maybe we've asked the wrong question. I think there's one more. Um, so D. Lee was first. Nafee was second. Jeremy Burnitz was third. The difference between Nafee and Burnitz was one hit, 157 wow. and 156. Aramis had 140. And then a guy that, frankly, when I think of him, I do not think of the 2005 Chicago Cubs. I think of the 2004 Chicago Cubs, especially crossing home plate like Superman to beat the athletics. Todd Walker 
121 hits. I just, of course he was on the 05 team, but for, for me, if you mentioned Todd Walker, I'm thinking 2004 and a team that uh, should have been way better than they were. And if you mentioned Todd Walker to me, I think professional hitter. Yes. That's right. what they would always say when he was at the plate. Todd Walker is a professional hitter. You know, that was the, uh, that was LSU. the slogan of the 2005 team, the 2004 roster, but less interesting. <laughs> 2005. Second question. Uh, again, on the offensive side, two players led the Cubs with 15 stolen bases. Who were they? And uh, Randall, start us off this time. Uh, I'm going to guess uh, Nafi Perez being one of those, and I'm going to guess Corey Patterson being the other. Wow. Okay. So our second Patterson reference of the show. Uh, Jeremy, thoughts on the two stolen base leaders? They both had 15. Well, Patterson was going to be one of mine, so I'm going to switch up. Stolen base leaders, I'm going to think – so you had Burnett, you had Patterson, right field. Who was in right field? Because Sammy was gone, right? Burnett. Or excuse me, who was in left field then? Was it Merton? The well, the, the answer to the question was not the left fielder. I'm just but, trying to think. Um, yeah. Okay, so I. I who was second? I don't know. And, uh, Hollinsworth, too, was the left fielder. Oh, Hollinsworth. Okay, yeah. Todd Hollinsworth. Um, Merton was up that year, but he, it was yeah, more Yeah, he came time. up. Yeah. But yeah. Um, that's the year with Merton and Greenberg came up, right? Adam Greenberg? I was at your house for Adam Greenberg, uh, Ronan. I remember <laughs> that. I remember you vividly. I, I just remember vividly, like his career is done. Never again. That was basically horrible. it. Horrible. Yeah. Uh, horrible what happened to him. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I just... Patterson and I, I don't know who else to guess. Like, because Randall said Patterson, um, and Nafi, and I'm trying to think who was fast. Uh, the batting champ himself, oh, Derek Lee. Derek Lee got second. Yep. Derek Lee, Corey Patterson tied with 15 stolen bases each on that team. It was a monster season for Lee. Seven WAR, 46 home runs, uh, just awesome. He did everything really well. And in terms of like individual seasons that Cubs players have had since we've been watching games, at least that's up there with just about anybody in enjoying watching a guy play every single day, went out there, was awesome in the field, great hitter as well. Um, so those are your stolen base leaders, two pitching questions for you. Uh, we'll start with one that I think is a little bit harder. There were two shutouts that the Cubs threw in 2005 who pitched them. And Jeremy, I'll, I'll have you dabble with this first and sort of think out loud. The two shutouts thrown by 05 Cubs starters. Okay, I'll say one was Maddox. Okay. And I'll say the other one was Zambrano. Okay. Randall. Zambrano certainly would have been one of my guesses. Uh, am I allowed to guess duplicate answers here? Like we yeah, arrive at the same whatever region? you think is right. Zambrano would be one for me, and I'm I'm going to go Maddox as well. I'm I'm pretty sure I can remember Pat Hughes calling the end of a Greg Maddox shutout. Uh, so those are going to be my guesses as well: Zambrano and Maddox. You are both wrong, Oof, and I uh, I was at easy. one of these shutouts. The other one I I don't really remember. I'm trying to kind of think back on it, but uh, Sergio Mitre versus the Toronto Blue Jays had a shutout at Wrigley that summer, and then Glendon Rush with the other shutout for the Cubs in 2005. I had Glendon Rush in my head, but I, I just kept thinking of him like coming in and like throwing like four innings in relief. Well, that's almost Zimbrano and Maddox. Almost. Right. Yeah. And then the last trivia question, um, I'm, I'm, 
you've already sort of answered it, so I'm going to tweak it here at the last minute. The question originally was going to be, um, who were the top two pitchers in terms of innings pitch that year for the team? Like, who finished one and two? It was the only two guys that were over 200 innings, Greg Maddox and Carlos Sembrano. Uh, the difference was very small. Who do you think racked up the most innings that year? Big Z or the old man himself, 39-year-old Greg Maddox for the 2005 Cubs? It was a very small margin of difference. I'll say Maddox just because he was like never hurt. And he just always threw as a workhorse. Like he missed, I think he maybe went on a deal one time in his career and he came right back. It was like for like a toe injury or something. So I'll say Maddox. I will also say Maddox. He would, even at age 39, he was going out there and giving you six, seven innings every five days. 35 starts that year for Greg Maddox. You're right on the money, Jeremy and Randall. 225 innings for the old Hall of Famer, Carlos Sembrano, who was just 24 in 2005. He went 223 in a third innings. Both had nice years. Mark Pryor had a nice year over 27 starts and uh, obviously collectively not a great season for the Cubs. 79 and 83, they finished fourth in the NL Central, but well done collectively. Some great names there coming out between the offense and pitching. And I think our audience should know as well not just that 2005 was a big year for Ray and the White Sox and all that but for us you know we we had our uh, high school radio show at the time that summer Randall I wish our audience could see it strutted across the stage in a theater in the Rosemont theater in fact earning his diploma I wish I just wish our audience could have seen the swagger that that man had that day and uh you probably had too Jeremy the first time you walked in to get your orange crush tickets you know the the confidence you had after the runner-up season the year before yeah that was a big year you know they went all the way to the final four so everybody was coming out to uh you know get those seats on the floor at uh, assembly hall or now the state farm center but uh, those that 05 that felt like the year they had a lot i'm i'm surprised that mark Pryor made 27 starts in 2005 that shocks me when you read that off but i was that the year or was it 06 where i mean you mentioned vitre but like rich hill came up and uh sean marshall was starting games it just felt like they were throwing guys out carlos marmel was starting games uh like i said i get 05 and 06 (laughs) mixed up all the time and i so those two years like run so much together for me um, so interesting to just look back on that 2005 Cubs team. And uh, we'll have Randall now take over here a little bit. Randall likes digging up old box scores, and he's going to try and uh, see if Jeremy and I can guess the game, I guess, that he can find based on random facts from that game. And it's, Randall, if I'm correct, a game that all three of us went to together. That is correct. All right. I've uh, looked in the closet and dug out some old boxes. Uh, you referenced our good friend Ray Blunts earlier, and so the first clue is in his honor. Uh, on the opposing team that day, and in the starting lineup was Jeff Blum, 2005 Ooh. World Series hero. Okay. Hmm. All right. All right. Jeff so I'm going to keep going with the clues here and see how uh, – and they'll get more and more targeted. Uh, let's see. In – Okay, and this this will uh, this will make Ronan happy. In the lineup <laughs> for the Cubs that day was a favorite of Ronan's, uh, a man who needs no introduction, but he did need some additional fingers at one time. Coy Hill, oh man, started at catcher for the Cubs he in this game. Additional fingers. I true story. Somewhere in my parents' basement, in a bag in the back of the basement, somewhere there is a. Fingers? Coy, not his finger. (laughs) 
Koi, I have a Koi Hill jersey somewhere in the parents' basement. Someday I look forward to busting thing that uh, that thing back out. And uh, I was a Koi Hill fan. I thought he added a little bit of pop back mm-hmm. behind the plate, and he was on some teams that ended up actually being relatively competitive. But Koi Hill in the lineup, him, they brought him back in like the Theo era. Mm-hmm. Didn't they? Yeah, he was gone and came back. You can't get enough Koi. Yeah. Uh, so continuing, continuing the clues, uh, Carlos Sombrano actually had a double in this game. He obviously was a starting pitcher, and he added a double uh, in batting for the Cubs in this game. Uh, continuing the clues here. Now this may – this isn't going to clarify it any for you, but we have to mention this individual every time he appears against the Cubs. Latroy Hawkins appeared oh uh, facing the Cubs in this game. So to recap so far, Jeff Blum in the starting lineup for the opposition, uh, Coy Hill in the starting lineup for the Cubs, Carlos Zambrano the starting pitcher, and he doubled as a batter in that game. And he did that a lot. He did. Carlos Zambrano, an excellent hitter in his day. And former Cub Latroy Hawkins uh, appeared uh, in opposition to the Cubs in this game as well. Can, can I make a have- guess? Yes, I was going to say, do we have any guesses in the early going here? So I'm going to make a guess, and I could be way off on this. I actually have two in my head, but I'm going to go with, is this the Jake Fox game? Uh, depending on what we consider to be the Jake Fox game. <laughs> the Alfonso been... Soriano game. That is more accurate, and you are correct. The one where they put J- Lou put Jake Fox into bunt in the extra yes, inning. There are, there are a number of games he we can call the Jake Fox for the pitcher. Game. I believe for the pitcher, and he bunted. Jeremy and I still is, can't get over that. Jeremy is correct. The game in question, July 27, 2009, mm-hmm. an extended extra innings affair at Wrigley Field, 13 wonderful innings. Wonderful is in quotation marks a little bit there. Uh, the game tie, remained tied, uh, I believe, yes, one all, all the way through to the 13th inning when Alfonso Soriano stepped to the plate with the bases loaded and nobody out. As Len Caster put it in his call that day, a fly ball with any depth here wins it for the Cubs. Soriano did indeed hit a fly ball with some depth to it, landing atop the batter's eye in center yeah. field, making an audible clunk on the metal roof out there and sending, let's look at the attendance here today, sending 40,000 people wow. home very happy, three of which are on the podcast right now. And we were behind the yellow line that day. We were, in we fact, were. <laughs> behind the yellow line that day. Look at the synergy. Yeah. Wow. That was, that a, was big, a good time. Yeah. I didn't remember Zambrano started that game. No, and I, I remember on the Grand Slam, I okay. remember the yeah. two distinct sounds of the ball hitting the bat or the bat hitting the ball and then the ball hitting the roof. And it was loud. I mean, yes, some people had obviously left. It was the 13th inning or whatever at that point. Uh, maybe we had migrated up to seats at that point, to be honest with you, or down to seats is probably the better way of saying that. But I just remember the distinct sound. There are home runs, and then there's what he did to the ball that time. And I'll never forget that. I'll also never forget just being in, in utter disbelief at some of the decisions that Lou made the, in the second half of that game, uh, particularly the, the pinch hit and bunt, which, which resulted in a disaster as well. Yeah, it was. That uh, was if, anyone is, if anyone is unfamiliar with the play in question, in the bottom of the ninth, the game again tied one all, <laughs> the bases were loaded, and uh, Mike Fontenot. Uh, Contact hitter, yes. guy yes. who can Mike Fontenot, play. Contact hitter. He, I believe, was pinch hit for. And no, I, I beg your pardon. Yes, he was pinch hit for by uh, Jake Fox. 
And uh, as you might expect, Jake Fox, a hitter with some power, but not a lot of contact ability. Uh, he did not get the job done in that spot. And uh, the simple fact was the game went on another few hours after that. He pinch hit with Jake Fox for Fontenot and then had him bunt. Yeah. That was the thing that didn't make any damn sense. Like, at least let the guy swing the bat. And if he, right. if he knocks it in. into the outfield, if he hits it out of the park. But he had, you had, of all the guys in the team that was capable of bunting, Jake Fox is not the guy that's going to get a bunt down. Uh, yeah, it was like, why are you wasting this, you know, scenario with Jake Fox? You're wasting a guy just for him to bunt. And I'd also like yeah. to point out that is one of two games I've been to with Randall that have ended in a walk-off grand slam for the Cubs. That is true. The other being uh, Jason Hayward's uh, more recent effort against the Phillies a couple of years ago. Real quick before we move on, I want to give you some of the other names in this game. Uh, they were obviously playing the Astros that night. That was the uh, Miguel Tejada era for the Houston Astros. He batted third and played shortstop. Carlos Lee, El Caballo, again, another tip of the cap to our friend Ray Blunts, uh, and uh, a career Cub killer, batted cleanup for the Houston Astros. And uh, for the Cubs, Milton Bradley was in right field for oh the my. Cubs that night. Yes. Oh, my, indeed. And That's who I thought you were talking about when you said one of Ronan's favorites. I thought it was Milton Bradley. And to give you the relief pitcher, uh, relief pitcher parade for the Cubs that night, Zimbrano pitched a wonderful game, seven innings, a run on three hits, four walks, four strikeouts. In relief of him were Aaron Heilman, Carlos Marmol, Jeff Stevens, Sean Marshall, and the winning pitcher, Jeff Samarja. Wow. wow. For the Chicago Cubs. So there were some names in this game. Randall, question for you, um, either going into that game or because of the outcome of it, what was the Cubs record? You said July of 09. They would have been 52 and 45 at the conclusion oh, wow. of the game. Yeah. Uh, obviously, it ended worse than that as the season <laughs> dragged on. But it good stuff there, Randall. Great box score. Uh, and if you are listening to the pod, do a quick YouTube search. Pull up that Grand Slam from Soriano, one of his distinct moments in a Cubs uniform. And just look at the 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 way he crushed the ball, where it landed, how it sanded, how it sounded. And know that there's a young Randall J. Sanders out there amongst 40,000 people, very, very happy, ready to hit the red line and head back home. Uh, but good stuff there, Randall. Great game and uh, nice job, both of you, collectively with the trivia. But we'll shift gears to modern times here. The Cubs have been busy this week. The Jock Peterson contract is official. We talked about that extensively last week, but it's a major league deal for 2021, a mutual option for 2022, and he essentially replaces Kyle Schwarber in left field. But since then, the Cubs have addressed some pitching. That's been a big talking point here. Who's going to be in the starting rotation? Who's going to round out the bullpen? Let's start with the starter. Familiar name. We've seen him with Pittsburgh for the last five years. Right-hander by the name of Trevor Williams, a 28-year-old. Uh, Jeremy, what, what are the Cubs looking for here? It's a one-year, $2.5 million deal. We were talking about flyers on pitchers. This is one of the guys they're going with. What do you look at or what do you have in Trevor Williams? Well, it's interesting. Um as you uh, look at Trevor Williams, I, I believe he actually had some success in Pittsburgh in 2018, um, struggled a little bit more. And he and listening to him, he blames a lot of that on trying too much um, to keep up, you know, with the Joneses a little bit, what the new fads are in baseball and trying going too much with the, uh, his four seam fastball, you know, going vertical up and down. And he, he thought he was more successful when he was pitching with his two seamers sinker which he did in 2018. And it's interesting that the Cubs seem to be the one, one of the few teams that are kind of zagging here 
where most of baseball is going like the Astros, you're going four seamer and the Cubs seem to be like making a big collection of guys that get by with their two seamers, with their sinkers. And so I, I don't know if they think there's obviously some sort of market inefficiency. Uh, I know that actually, if you look at the data a little bit, that Trevor Williams did actually get, you know, he actually got like a lesser type of exit velocity, velocity off of his four seamer. Um, than you would expect the guys didn't hit it as hard but uh, it seems like that's really where the Cubs are going and if they can figure something out with Trevor Williams get him back to how he was more successful a couple years ago that would that would be nice he's a guy I like him a little bit giving him a chance in the rotation I think he's got a chance to actually pitch a little bit and uh, they need another one but I like the signing it's cheap Randall what do you think uh, just like to add, Jeremy, he's a Pearl Jam fan, so he, you're, you're compatible hey, with Williams him. Trevor Williams seems like a cool guy. Star Wars I was going to say, you're compatible with him on a number of levels. I liked Trevor Williams. Uh, yeah, Trevor Williams, he, you know, we, when we were discussing uh, cheap rotation options um, a week ago this evening, Trevor Williams, the news uh, came down just the very next day. And, again, this is a pitcher who uh, has been fairly durable in his career. Uh, start totals he made 25 in 2017 31 starts in 2018 26 starts in 2019 so he'll give you innings and Jeremy gave you the the breakdown of the data as to what the Cubs are looking for I certainly don't need to repeat that so he's he's another cheap formerly productive arm they hope they can get him back into some kind of form and if he's able to produce he's uh, one of many many candidates to get innings at the back end of that rotation so sure. it's, it's it's a it's a perfectly acceptable, low risk, medium reward, low money signing. And we knew that's where they were going uh, to fill yeah. out the rotation. And with a number of names having come off the board in the last week, um, they, they got one. You would hope they go for one more. You know, I, I, I hear what you're saying there and both of you, and I, I'm kind of torn on it. And I'm going to rant first and then be more rational on the second half of this. The, on the front end of it, I mean, this kind of sucks. Right. Like the Cubs should not be signing guys like Trevor Williams because they're the Cubs. They should be a tier or two or even three higher than this. And they should be trying to win a very winnable division this year. But you're right, Randall. You're mentioning the fact that there are payroll constraints. The reality, Tom Ricketts' reality is the Cubs are not going to have a $200 million payroll next year. So you're going to go out and you're going to take flyers on guys. In that case, Trevor Williams is kind of interesting because he's still young. He's 28 years old. He's had success. He's had success in the division. And like you were saying, Jeremy, he's got an interesting mix of pitches. He's got five pitches in his arsenal, including the sinker ball, and he's got a pretty funky delivery. So you're, you're, if you want to be optimistic about this, you've got a guy who's had some success. He's very, very cheap, and he's still young enough that you can mold him. You can do some things with him and maybe have some success. He is a guy who, assuming he stays healthy, should be able to give you 150 innings next year, and you're going to need innings. Pitchers' workloads are going to be down coming out of COVID. So I'm sort of torn on it. On one hand, the Cubs need to be doing better than this. It's embarrassing that the World Series champions are adding a Cy Young winner and the Cubs are adding Trevor Williams. But in the vacuum of the reality of where the Cubs stand right now, it's an interesting guy to take a look at. And, and if everything hits, he could be a productive member of a starting rotation in the majors. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, I know. I know exactly what you mean. And I, I agree 100 percent with you. Uh it always would get me like when people would rant and about the Cubs not spending and you would see like, you know, Eric Sogard signed for $4 million for, or $5 million for the Brewers and people would get mad and I'd be like, yeah, but Eric Sogard to me, it was always like, 
I don't care really about the the small deals like the Cubs not spending small. They should be playing for the major free agents. We should be in the Trevor Bauer sweepstakes. We should be in these types of these. That's where my rant would go. And I do agree with you. I, I was only talking about the Trevor Williams signing with, I agree with you in the vacuum of like, this is what the Cubs are doing. He's an interesting guy, but if the Cubs really want to lock up this division, they need starting pitching, as I said last week. And a guy like Trevor, uh, excuse me, Trevor Bauer, obviously, or some of the bigger names, uh, maybe possibly a James Paxson, you put ourselves in a bigger, you know, and the trade market as well. It's not like the only way to acquire talent is through free agency. You know, the Cubs should be out there trying to acquire money. I realize they're not going to be at the levels they were two, three, four years ago. But right now, what's the payroll at? Like 140? That's like a hundred million dollars below than they were last year. So like, even if you were to take on, like, I I don't know the Cubs finances, obviously, but like 10, $20 million does not seem that unreasonable. That puts you at like 160 million. That's like what the Cubs had prior to 2015. Like we're starting to go back to what it was like before we, so it's kind of crazy to me that the Cubs aren't really doing anything. And I, and something you've meant you mentioned off the pod earlier Ronan was you talked about the fact that the Cubs have no money really committed down the road so in reality especially with free agents you probably could figure out ways to work the contracts a bit you know backload some contracts I know guys probably want to get paid because they didn't really get paid last year they only took a percentage of their uh, pay in terms of I mean they got full pay but they only took a percentage of what their full pay was um prorated to how many games they played so but like you know there are ways to add money here and i agree with you but i do think like for a cheap option trevor williams a young guy i i don't want to see as you mentioned older guys like arietta or whatever god no <laughs> a guy who could come in and, and maybe he gives you something and they need some stability i mean he's not gonna be like obviously you're hoping a little bit more but you need the more arms you bring in the more chances you have of getting somebody good yeah right there's yeah, no issue cheap. with there's no issue with signing a Trevor Williams in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. The issue is that nothing happens in a vacuum. If they'd had a, a better and more active and more productive offseason and brought in a Trevor Williams, we'd say that's a, a fine depth signing at the back end. But the, he's one of their, what, three or four moves uh, the entire offseason. And in, in that regard, uh, it, it's not a particularly exciting signing. Hopefully it turns out better than it is on paper. Randall, I got to disagree with you, though. Um, one thing does happen in a vacuum. Lots of sucking. And I'm worried that the 2021 <laughs> Cubs are going to suck, and I don't want them to. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're, you're not going to get you're not going to get segs like that anywhere else, ladies. And uh, but I will say, I even if the Cubs suck, uh, their division sucks, so they'll all be sucking together with the Brewers <laughs> and the Cardinals um, and the Reds. So you know, it's going to be crazy. Like yeah. it's funny how any little thing, like I will talk about it, but any little move the Cubs make, it's like it because they have no talent their their projected like wins war goes up like a huge cuz they're replacing zeros. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and that's the thing. I mean, they're the Cubs still need at least one more starter, probably yeah. a couple more arms to vie right. for bullpen spots, and we've got time still. Um 2 weeks out or so from spring training, the trucks on its way to Mesa, and then uh 
we we will see how things progress towards opening day. One other thought, though, on Trevor Williams that I wanted to address that's concerning over the last couple of years. It's been sort of like the hard contact, the home runs in particular. The last two years have been bad. So the last full season, 2019, surrendered 27 home runs in 145 innings. Last year, they played barely two months of baseball. But in that 55-inning sample size that he had, which is you know two months of being a major league pitcher, 15 home runs, the most in the National League. So that's concerning, right? You could see that not ending well at Wrigley Field on days the wind's blowing out. But as you were alluding to earlier, Jeremy, if he goes back to the sinker, if that's working, if he's getting ground balls at Wrigley Field, that could go very much in another direction. So it's something to look at with him. We may not love the fact that Trevor Williams is vying for a spot for the 2021 Chicago Cubs. The fact of the matter, he's there. And now it's okay. What are we going to get out of him? What realistically can you expect from a guy like that? Who's still just 29 years old going into the year here. Yeah, I was exactly uh, going to make the similar point um, about the fact that like, that might be why he's thinking that he means he needs to move off of his uh, four seamer because he's seen all the balls go out. He might think he needs to get more balls on the ground and that Wrigley Traditionally, I mean, I'm sure it's more, you know, uh, but traditionally uh, more regulated now, but traditionally Wrigley had long grass, you had the ground balls, so it yeah. slows things down. Um, so that might be a thing he's thinking and what the Cubs are thinking. Um, not to go back necessarily, but Cole Stewart is a guy who I, you know, looking at when you look at his, his uh, breaking balls and his off-speed stuff more, he has a lot of movement on those pitches, but he doesn't throw them that much. So maybe that's a guy they're thinking, you know, to adjust his pitch mix, throw your off, uh, throw your slider more, your curveball more. So, you know, these are guys that I don't think they're going to have like tremendous upside uh, in terms of like, nobody's coming in there. I don't think you're going to get a guy who's going to be your ace, you know, but you never know. You get like a solid three starter out of him. And, and the Cubs need that because they don't really have, I mean, they, they need more than that, but they also need that. That is something that's valuable. And they don't have a guy on the roster right now who I think you could say, uh, I, I mean, they have Zach Davies, but the Davies and Hendricks are probably the only two you can be confident. Like this is a guy who's going to give you 150, 175 innings. And that's something that's valuable. You need a guy who can go out there yeah. and give you that. And outside of Davies and Hendricks, you don't have that really. Yeah. So it's Trevor Williams. One year, two and a half million, uh, made his debut with the Pirates in 2016. A little bit more backstory on him. Uh, 2013 amateur draft, 44th overall pick by the Marlins, then went to Pittsburgh and obviously is now a Chicago Cubs. So we'll see how he affairs in that rotation. Actually, one more and, thing, if I can mention. Yeah, I believe Trevor totally. Williams was traded from the Marlins for the pitching coordinator, Jim Benedict. Interesting. I, that was like a weird compensation deal who ended up going to the Cubs after – Pittsburgh fired him and with Theo and then the Cubs because of last year he was one of the layoffs with uh due to COVID but he was not traded from if I remember correctly he was traded for somebody an off the field move uh for a pitching coordinator interesting we'll uh we'll see what he brings to the Cubs here this year and apparently a big Pearl Jam guy so you know Jeremy just ready to go He's got, he's wearing a Pearl Jam shirt right now as we record this. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, so interesting there. Let's shift gears to the bullpen. The Cubs also addressed that with a major league contract. Familiar name, Andrew Chafin. He was with the team last year in the bullpen. If you recall, acquired at the trade deadline from Arizona, Randall's favorite team in the Western half of the United States. It's a one-year deal, mutual option for 2022. Um, Randall, Cubs need arms. They need left-handed arms in the bullpen. Here's a veteran, and, and he's now in the mix again. 
Sure. Andrew Chafin, he's uh, another, as you said, another veteran uh, who potentially hopes to slot in middle relief, maybe setting up occasionally for the Cubs. Uh, another pitcher who was fairly durable in the year in the years before 2020 um, appearance wise, he 71 appearances in 2017, 77 in 2018, 77 again in 2019. Uh, and he was again, productive in those years, some fielding independent pitching numbers for you again in 2017, a fielding independent pitching of 3.39, 2.65 in 2018, 3.25 in 2019. So uh, again, when he's been out there, he's been a, a decent relief arm. And just as they are with starting pitchers, Cubs need guys uh, who are willing to take a lot less money and who are willing to, to come here and pitch for that, those small amounts. And as Jeremy said earlier, the more arms you bring in, the better your chances of finding success with at least a few of them. So the more guys you can bring in, the better. Uh, Andrew Chafin, an established veteran, and you hope he can be a reliable arm for David Ross at the back end of the bullpen. Yeah, I, I like Andrew Chafin. I actually, this is a move I actually pretty much like, regardless of where the Cubs are, because I think Chafin is a guy, and he's had success in the past, but he's also a guy who can pitch. To, he's a left-handed pitcher who could pitch to both sides, and that is something that is extremely valuable, obviously, now in today's baseball, because you need guys that can get lefties out but also can pitch to righties with the three, uh, three better minimum. And so Chafin is a guy that can pitch to righties. He can pitch to lefties and he's had success both ways. He's been a solid pitcher in his career and he's got a great mu horseshoe mustache, the sheriff. <laughs> he <laughs> so looks like a from, relief pitcher. Exactly. Bring him in from the old West to bring him in from the OK Corral in Arizona. So, um, you know, I like Chafin. I think it's a good, I think it's a good move. I think it's a good guy to have in the bullpen. And I think, he's a guy that's actually going to contribute a lot. And I, I mean, hopefully he's healthy, but you, I can see him out there like 70, 80 times. Yeah. Um, three pitches in the arsenal, uh, the four seam fastball and the sinker, almost equal usage, a little bit less with the slider, but that's the, that's what he's going to be throwing out. And like you said, Jeremy, if you can get guys on the left and right side, that's going to help. And, and this is a move. If the Cubs were going for it this year, if they were aggressive to try and win the division, this signing would also make sense. This is also a potential guy for them that if he can give them a couple of good months, the Cubs aren't looking so good by the middle of the season, he will be a very attractive trade piece. So wins all around, really, assuming he can stay healthy. Looks like he'll probably contribute. If the Cubs are good, they're going to need him. If the Cubs aren't good, they'll get something back for him. So it seems like a win all the way around. Yeah, and that's a good point you just made about the possible trade pieces. That's how seemingly all of the Cubs' moves have been shorter, one-year terms. So they can move, you know, come July, they have no commitments, as I mentioned before, behind this year. They can move a lot of pieces. They can move Jock. They can move, obviously, KB or Wilson if they're not here, Javi, although I think something gets done Rizzo. I think something gets done in terms of keeping Javi and Rizzo. But, like, at the end of this year, there's a cliff. There's nobody coming back. So I, they can move anybody, even these guys they're bringing on Trevor Williams, another one-year contract. And, and a quick look to 2022, just jumping ahead to payroll for a minute here. Um, they've got $56 million committed to 2022, and all one Hayward. isn't a whole lot. And it's basically all Jason Hayward, Jason Hayward and Hendricks. So Hayward's at uh, 24 or five Hendricks at 14 million. Um, if Peterson is uh, going to be sticking around uh, probably around 10 million, but not a whole lot of money committed there at that point in time. So 
they should be looking at potential options of, you know, signing guys or trading for guys that, that have some backloaded money because there's a lot of money to work with at that point. And I think that's why also that the Nolan trade stings a little bit more. You look at what the Cardinals gave up, what they're paying for an elite third baseman and Nolan Arenado, and you go, man, couldn't the Cubs have maybe taken a flyer on that? I mean, what's the worst thing that happens if you're backloading money to a guy like Nolan on the Cubs when payroll's already opening up? So I would like to know more oh, it about burns. that. In terms of the behind the scenes of Nolan, like was he forcing a trade to St. Louis? Because I know they had been talking last year. Not that the Cubs shouldn't have gotten involved. I agree with you. But yeah, like, Nolan. It's been like a hot he topic. The, he had all the power in that yes. scenario because by forcing that deal and like he wanted out of there. So Dick Montfort, the owner of the Colorado Rockies, it's been a hot week for Rockies baseball here in Denver. And by hot, I mean people are very angry. The people that care about the team in purple and dinger and all that they're really upset the owner claims that nine months after nolan signed an eight-year contract extension with the rockies he demanded a trade and then i saw a report today that nolan apparently had been texting members of the cardinals team over the years saying i wouldn't mind playing for the cardinals next year uh, the article was from uh, st louis media and was like the cardinals go out and get the guys who want to be here that nonsense but they did go out and get him and i, I do think nolan wanted out of denver because he was getting paid and the team wasn't winning. They didn't really do anything to reinforce help around him. As you mentioned last week, Jeremy, they wasted a lot of money on the way Davises of the world, guys like that in the back end of the bullpen, instead of getting him some help. So I do think he forced it, but at the same time, why couldn't the Cubs have been in on something like that? You know, you could move Bryant. Bryant has outfield experience. There was a lot of things the Cubs could have done. And unfortunately he ends up in St. Louis. Yeah. I, I, I think he forced it completely out of there. I, I'm just curious if he took even the further step of not just forcing it out, but like dictating where he wanted to go. And I can't imagine that, you know, if the Cubs did get involved, he would be like, so yeah. anti the Cubs, like, so I would think he would agree to the deal, but I'm just curious if like, he really wanted to go to, to St. Louis. And if, like, that was like, he was like telling them like, I want to trade and I want to go and I want you to make a deal with St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. You, you look at the, how little St. Louis had to give up in terms of prospects. You would have liked to see if the Cubs could equal that or beat that. Um, it seems as if in recent years, the Cubs are simply never on the receiving end of these lopsided deals. It, it would, in trading Darvish, it seems like they're on the sending end sometimes, but it, it doesn't seem like they're ever on the receiving end of these deals where they get back a star player giving up very little. And that's, that's a nebulous thing. And that's a, a subjective thing. You know, what defines a star player, what defines how much you give up. It just seems like this, this is the kind of trade the Cubs have not even been close to being in on in recent years. And you would have liked to have known if maybe Jed was involved and there, if, you know, if, if Jed was involved talking to the Rockies and there just wasn't a fit, that's fine. It happens all the time. You would have liked to have known if they could have been involved and if any effort was made. Right. Uh, but I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think part, and I don't know, but I think part of it, the reason that the Cardinals were able to give up, I mean, it was such a complicated deal. And I think part of it also is Nolan had so much power with his no trade clause and also forcing a trade. Yeah. So like if the Rockies got stuck being in a scenario where we have to deal with him and we have to trade him to like, we have to look at St. Louis, they might be forced not to take on as much as maybe if he didn't want to go to the Cubs as much, the Cubs might have to give up a little more because he may not have been, that's all I'm saying. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Obviously Nolan, only Nolan and the Rockies really know, and maybe the Cardinals. It feels like the kind right. of trade where five years from now, somebody will sit down with Arenado and the Rockies GM and the Cardinals GM 
and we're going to learn all sorts of interesting things that went on behind the scenes of this deal that aren't necessarily public right now. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very strange deal. Yeah. to I, I think it's pretty clear that Nolan and the front office did not get along. Not at all. And that not, was not going to be a scenario where that was, not, I, that was going to become to an end probably more sooner. And it did than later. Yeah. I, Cause he, like if he didn't get traded, he probably would have opted out of this after this year. Yeah. I'd assume. And, and, and look, there's two things for Nolan. Like, obviously he wants to get paid. They all do. They have every right to want to get paid, especially when you're an elite player. He wanted to win, though, and you don't want to be – I mean, yes, it's amazing to make $300 million to play Major League Baseball and all the luxury and benefits that come with that, but he didn't want to waste away on bad Rockies teams. Yeah, he's cashing money, but just playing lifeless baseball with an organization that isn't committed to winning. And look at the National League West right now. they got the defending champs. they got the best young team in baseball in the Padres. The Rockies have absolutely no chance anytime soon of competing for a National League West title. The farm has nothing down there. So he's right to move on. It sucks. It has to be St. Louis. Um, I'll say I got a bit of a chuckle here Tuesday after the press conference. And if you want to see a complete dumpster fire of a press conference, watch the way the Rockies handled what happened on Tuesday. It was completely embarrassing, to be honest with you, how they handled it, the demeanor of the general manager and the owner. Um, They should be ashamed. And it's bad for baseball. It's really bad for baseball that teams that make as much money as the Rockies, that draw as well as, as the Rockies, that get so much incentive from the city of Denver to have a private business here and make billions of dollars that they wouldn't protect an athlete like it. It's bad for baseball in Denver. It's bad for the sport. I don't think MLB owners care so much about the future of the, they want to make money, but I don't think they care about the growth and health of baseball and fandom. They just care about making money. And that really pisses me off. So Tuesday night after the press conference, I wrapped up work. I was walking around the neighborhood. Uh, Initially, Some Rockies fans had been protesting the organization. They threw their jerseys and stuff out in front of the ballpark. When I got to the ballpark around 830 at night, there were just two bouquets of flowers sitting in front of the worst statue in baseball in front of Coors Field. And I thought, my God, did Nolan die? (laughs) Who died here? Did the Rockies die today? Did fandom die? It was just sort of sad walking through the city Tuesday night. And um, man, it just stinks. Well, you watch that press conference, you see why. Nolan yes. wanted out like that it's press conference. Immediately. You see Jeff British and Dick Monfort, like, first of all, Dick Monfort said like last year, they were going to win 94 games and they had it down yeah. to like before COVID, but they had like, you know, their projection system, whatever. It's like, what are you kidding me? They were the worst team in baseball. So whatever they're doing obviously wasn't working. If it's telling them they're going to win 94 games and, yeah. and they're, this isn't a teardown. Like, I mean, I, I hear Tom Ricketts say that too. And it annoys me but at least the Cubs still have talent on the roster. Like you see Colorado, what are you talking about? This isn't a terrible There's nothing Trevor there. Story, and Story who's, who's going to yeah. be out in six months. Right. Yeah. They're, they're saying that the, money, the money that they're saving on Nolan, they're going to use to try and lock up Trevor Story. Why does, why would he want to be signed long-term yeah. in Colorado? What would be appeal to him there? They'll sign him long-term and he'll force a trade. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a long list of guys, you know, Tulo, uh, 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 obviously, you know, Tulo, Nolan Arenado, uh, Cargo even had great years here in Denver and they didn't really do a whole lot with him. It's just, look, this is a difficult place to win. There's no question about it. Coors Field is an outdoor circus tent. It's a massive field. And then they go on, you know, they're playing at a mile high, but then when they go on the road, they have to deal with the opposite of that. Going back down, pitches move differently one mile above the earth than at other places. Humidity affects it. It's very dry here. 
it's a difficult place to win. I get that, but it's embarrassing what happened with Nolan. It's bad for baseball. And the fact that we're seeing this, what, what Boston did trading Mookie to LA, that shouldn't be happening. Teams like the Boston Red Sox shouldn't be making moves like that. And on a smaller level, teams like the Rockies shouldn't be doing it here in Denver. And that worries me because, you know, there, it, it just seems bad for the sport that owners are not as committed to winning as they should be. More teams should be trying to win that are in baseball. And yeah, COVID sucked and it messed up finances and things, but it shouldn't be like this where superstars sign eight-year contract extensions and nine months later, they're gone. Yeah. And this, this ties into uh, the labor difficulties that are looming on the horizon where players are realizing that owners have a lot different financial priorities perhaps than signing players to massive contracts. And Arenado signed that contract two years ago. That was the winter of Manny Machado and of Bryce Harper, both of whom signed massive contracts but didn't do so until right before or during spring training. And the entire recurring theme that offseason was the owners are not spending. And the, the players realizing this, the players realizing where money is going or it's not going is going to be a central theme when CBA negotiations come up at the end of next season. And issues like this where a player signs a massive extension in one city and then finds it so untenable that he has to force him a, a trade that sort of thing is going to come up in the cba negotiations they they are going to attempt to negotiate financially where they don't want that to happen anymore and it's going to be it's going to be messy and issues like this where teams don't want to spend it, it shows you how messy it's going to get yeah and i just want to go back to ron a little bit uh talking about the rockies specifically uh going back if you remember uh Tulo when Tulo got traded after a game at Wrigley Field he went off he was not happy with the way that whole situation was dealt with he did not he did not say nice things about Jeff British I believe the GM at the time because he thought that he was going to be involved in any trade and he thought he was going to be given a heads up like a little bit go ahead like or excuse me like a notice like hey we're talking to this team we're talking to whoever you know, and you're going to be traded soon. And he was blindsided by he played in the game at Wrigley Field, and he got a massive trade to Toronto, or right after that. So uh, obviously, there's been some issues with some star players in the front office in Colorado in the past, and so it doesn't look like a fun place to go play if you're a player. I mean, yeah. I'm Denver. It's beautiful, is a fun place. Yeah, but it's, it's specifically Colorado Rockies. Cool. Right, right. It's a mess of an organization. They're in a bad spot right now, and. They got the Dodgers and the Padres beating them up 40 times a year between both of them. So we'll see how that plays out here. Um, let's look elsewhere in the National League Central, though. A couple interesting moves this week. You know, I, I was joking with some Rockies fans. And, of course, I'm joking here because Nolan Arenado makes $35 million a year. So everywhere he goes is fine. He gets the best of everywhere. But I was sort of joking, man, it's got to suck to move from a place like Denver. You got the Colorado Rockies, all the beautiful things here in the western U.S. The most boring town. To St. Louis, Missouri. Of all the places you could go from Denver to St. Louis, um, man, that sucks. Uh, how about this? Going from St. Louis to, Mil- to Milwaukee. That's an upgrade. Colton Wong, a mainstay with the Cardinals most of the last decade. He gets two years, 18 mil to go to Milwaukee. Inter- interesting here. Jeremy, for weeks, has been saying 
we got to get Wong on the Cubs. He's a perfect fit for the Cubs needs. Brewers just going in there and sniping him gave them, gave him more than the Cubs were willing to two years, 18 mil, but this is a pretty aggressive signing by the Brewers and frankly, a pretty shrewd move. I think it's an interesting signing because the Brewers, you would think already had their infield set with how they were playing. And it's going to be interesting, uh, specifically the middle infield, how uh, Colton fits in. But yeah, I thought Colton would have been a perfect fit as a left, uh, left-handed batter who, you know, struggles against righty or excuse me, struggles against lefty, same side, but hits righties. Um, would have paired up with Nico or Bodie. I thought he would have been a great fit for the Cubs. And uh, I was a little disappointed to see him stay in the division. I didn't want him, you know, Brewers get a little bit better after Cardinals get a little bit better. So it puts the gap a little bit more on the Cubs. Um, but, uh, you know, he's going from one beer uh, ballpark to a former beer ballpark, I guess. It's no longer Miller Park. He's got beer we about, now. Yeah, yeah. After talking about Coors Field. So we were just hitting up all the beer parks. But, uh, you know, it's disappointing. I would have liked to see Colton Wong on the Cubs. I thought he, uh, so I guess now my new guy is Marwin Gonzalez, you know, bring him home. But uh, I still think they kind of need a, another middle infielder or a second baseman. That's kind of a little bit of just to help out with Bodie and Horner. Yeah, yeah. For the Brewers, this improves their infield defense a great deal. My understanding is they're going to shift uh, Keston Fura to first base. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was not a particularly good defensive second baseman. Mm-hmm. So that improves their infield defense. And it probably takes uh, Dan Vogelbach out of the starting role at first base for the Brewers, which I can't imagine they're terribly unhappy about. Uh, not much of a first baseman, Mr. Vogelbach. So that uh, that improves their team in two ways, and it's what he would have done for the Cubs. Uh, I don't like Colton Wong very much, but I agree he would have been uh, uh, he would have been exactly what this team needed, and another move that the Cubs simply did not could not make. It is an interesting middle infield though, because Kessichira. Not really a prototypical, you would think of first baseman, and I'm not sure even if he's even going to hit enough to really be a first baseman. So you have Hira, uh, Wong, I guess Arcia and Urias. So that's kind of like a infield of just like four middle infielders. Yeah. So like that's, you know, not like I say, none of these teams are really even the Cardinals after Nolan. I don't think any of these teams are really that good. So, but you know, Brewers are making a move to improve themselves. Yeah, I, I like the move from Milwaukee. Um, you know, Wong's an interesting player. He's been just sort of steady year in and year out. He's a two to three war player with very good middle infield defense. And the Brewers are going to rely so much on that pitching next year. They've got a, a competitive rotation, some nasty monsters in the bullpen. I mean, that's going to win them a lot of games. So when you improve your middle infield defense, that helps pitching. I don't know what the Brewers offense your you know start to finish is going to produce a guy like Wong gets on base at a pretty strong clip he draws his walks uh not really going to be a massive home run threat for them but if he plays good defense if he get on if he gets on base he makes the Brewers better makes the Cardinals a little bit worse so uh, we'll see how this plays out it is worth seeing it is worth watching and he knows the division he knows the ballparks he knows the pitchers in the division he's seen these guys year in and year out so I think that's also an advantage for him and we know Kristen Yelch is going to bounce back his two month fluky thing last year. That's not the type of player he is. He is an MVP caliber player as much as that burns Randall inside. And the fact that he came from Florida and, and all that stuff, I get it, but this Brewers team um, is going to need good defense to supplement that pitching and they could be very dangerous. They're right there in the mix with anybody to win the, the conference crown. Yeah. And you also mentioned Lorenzo Kane coming back. He only played the yeah. five games last year before opting out. So he's another year older. Uh, more wise, I guess, but um, so we'll see how that affects because we don't really know how guys that maybe took the entire year off. I mean, Kane got the five games in, but 
how they're going to play next year. Um, but I do, you mentioned their pitching. I, I actually really like Brandon Woodruff. I think he's a yeah. really good starter and I think he's very underrated. I, you know, he's, I think he's, uh, and Corbin Burns had some issues, but he pitched pretty well last year too. So I think their pitching staff is probably the best in the NL central, but their offense, as you mentioned, we'll see how Kane and, and Yelich do, but that middle infield, I don't really think it's going to hit that much. There's yeah. going to be a sharp drop off from Yelich in that lineup. And then there, and there has been the last few years, but sharper, sharper even than that. Hey, Randall, what yes, do you sir. say we go to St. Louis for this next segment here? How does that sound? Uh, as long as we're doing it metaphorically, I'm all for it. <laughs> so uh, actually some news we can celebrate here. Randall, you can finally cheer for Dexter Fowler again. You know, World it's series. It, champ. I never stopped, cheering, never stopped cheering for Dexter Fowler. Uh, he'll, he'll always have uh, a place in Chicago sports history but this does make it a lot easier. As you said, the, the transaction Dexter Fowler and I believe cash considerations headed to the Los Angeles angels of Anaheim in exchange for a future player to be named later or cash considerations. Uh, Dexter is reunited with Joe Madden with whom he won the 2016 world series. And this is apparently not a coincidence. Uh, angels GM uh, Manazian uh, said to the media there yesterday, they want a certain type of player a certain type of makeup mentality and that manifests in players who have had past experiences with Joe Madden. And he is the second uh, former Cub to end up there this offseason joining uh, Jose Quintana. So Joe Madden speaking with his GM, getting some of his former players out there in Anaheim and hoping to put more pieces around Mike Trout, Shohei Otani and uh, the rest of that team. Randall, how do you feel about the fact that uh, Dexter Fowler has four years as a St. Louis Cardinal versus two years as a Chicago Cub? My answer to that is how many rings does he have as a Cub? If how he, many rings did he have as he, a Cardinal? He's obviously not going into the Hall of Fame, but if he did, would he wear a Cardinal hat? I'm just saying, where where oh, his God. ring at? Where his ring yeah. at, Jeremy? He'd have I'm, a Dinger hat on. A Dinger, a dinger hat, the Rocky a Rockies hat. hat. Yeah. Yeah. He'd probably have like an Air Jordan because he loves Jordan so much. Pretty interesting career, though, for Fowler. Uh, starts with the Rockies, goes to Houston in 14, traded to the Cubs for 15-16, St. Louis for what I'll call the dark years, you know, just because he was down there, uh, 17, 18, 19, and 20. And it wasn't always easy for him there. Got a big contract in 2017, got off to a really slow start, kind of salvaged the second half of that year, struggled in 2018, his worst year in the majors, in fact, 2018 with St. Louis, bounced back in 2019. The Cardinals obviously competitive there in the division. And then last year he played half of one fifth of the season, you know, you know what I'm saying there. So it was not a whole lot going on for him and, and maybe a fresh start for him in Anaheim. He's back with Joe and with the DH, they can mix and match him a little bit in the lineup and things. And we wish him well. Unfortunately, my opinion on this is I think this actually makes St. Louis better. <laughs> I think, I don't think Dexter's very good. I think he's kind of at the end. I don't think he's going to add much. And so I think kind of taking away at bats from him, late appearances and giving them to, Bader and O'Neill and other and Dylan Carlson, Carlson, other guys they have. I think it frees up some room for other guys, and I think St. Louis will actually improve because of this trade. I think it's a little more of a addition by subtraction. Still good to not see him with the burn on back. I agree with his that. Chest anymore. Yeah, he's and him back with now. Joe will be cool. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally. He's he's with the Angels now, right, Randall? I like that. Um, speaking of Los Angeles. 
the rich get richer here. The World Series champions, the Los Angeles Dodgers, have made the biggest free agent signing of the offseason. They get the National League Cy Young Award winner, Trevor Bauer, the former Cincinnati Red. Looks like three years, a touch over $100 million, multiple opt-outs. Interesting contract for the best available pitcher in Major League Baseball. But Randall, Bauer's a Dodger, and that rotation somehow just got better. Uh, it did. They paid a lot of money for Trevor Bauer coming off a, a, a two-month Cy Young award, and they paid a lot of money for his uh, – gosh, how do we put this? His ego, his personality. You're getting a lot more than just the pitcher, um, and you would hope for his sake – Getting that videos. He, Lots you know, of videos and content. You're getting, a lot you're of getting content. content. That's right. You're paying for a lot of his content. And, you know, there, I think there's some question of can he be enough of a – can he can he stop being a distraction long enough maybe with uh, a lot of his outspoken beliefs maybe on the use of substances uh, and doctoring the ball something that he has been very outspoken about Um, and there have been points in the past where he's maybe been mentioned as a distraction in certain clubhouses he was traded out of Arizona initially for that reason and in his stops since there have been whispers that maybe he hasn't been the most popular in those clubhouses. And when you trade or when you bring in a personality like that, that's the question is, uh, can that personality maybe coexist with the pitching ability or does it end up consuming everything and making the relationship messy? And that's, that's the question the Dodgers asked themselves. And the answer was it will make it work for the money he wants. Yeah, I, well, Trevor Bauer is a really good pitcher, so anybody adding Trevor Bauer is probably going to get a very good pitcher. Uh, he hasn't always had the most success, but and sometimes I think he tinkers too much. I think I, he always reminds me of Darvish because they're both, like, really trying to get in there and get into the numbers and throwing, and it's like, you know, sometimes it's like, okay, just simplify it. You're really good. You have really good stuff anyways. Just, you know, throw it. But uh, Bauer's, you know, he's obviously a good pitcher, and it's – the Dodgers are going to be good. They've got a great rotation. The Padres are going to be good. They got a great rotation. It's going to be one hell of a battle in the West. But my question to you guys is, does this count as a multi-year option uh, deal? I believe it does. So I believe that Trevor yeah. Bauer should not welch on his bet. So tell our audience about this belt. I, I had no idea about it. And I, I apparently like to according to Jeff Passan, and I believe, and this is a couple of years ago, he bet his friend that he would never sign a multi-year deal. And if he did, he would take a paintball shot, to the groinal region. Oh man, man getting hit by paintball. Exactly. And well, we know that. how and much he loves to produce content. So if he if he goes I, through with this, we're, we're going to see it. No question. A lot of people are going to want to watch it. I can tell you that much. Yeah. I look. I like Trevor got Miguel Bauer. Montero and Garrett Cole on there. <laughs> Mike yeah. Montgomery. All I, I think. Teammates. I think baseball benefits from guys like Trevor Bauer um, because you know what you, you need heroes and villains and storylines and all all of that stuff makes it interesting not every single person in a major league clubhouse needs to be the most likable guy that's not what I need at least when I'm watching baseball every single day he's a dominant pitcher on the mound he seems very dedicated to his craft he's very serious about getting in those those uh, uh pitching rooms tweaking his spin rate yes there have been rumors about he had said himself the only way he could increase his spin rate to the levels that you see of those elite pitchers in baseballs are to use some of those illegal substances and they're all doing it maybe that was the big shift that he's made over the last two years he's a student of the game he's very very dedicated to it i enjoy watching elite athletes 
who are good at what they do and passionate about what they do compete at the highest levels. The personality stuff too, I mean, goodness, Major League Baseball needs a little bit more personality in its athletes, even if they aren't likable. I think that's an okay thing. I love the fact that he's trying to make content, even if it's not stuff that I totally absorb or relate to. He's doing some pretty interesting behind the scenes stuff of what pitchers do uh, in between days around the mound, behind the scenes of going to the ballpark, stuff teams could do a little bit more of too. And it's nice to get some content like that that isn't sugarcoated through the PR lens of teams front offices and video staffs. So he's doing some things that's very neat. He has fun with other athletes in the game. He's training other athletes, how to be a little bit more visible on things like social media, increase their brand all the stuff that goes into that so i i welcome a guy like that i think the sport needs it and putting him in la okay a really good team just got better and he's in a big time city if he wants attention he's in a good city to be in if he's in los angeles he is an ant under the under the uh the magnifying glass now if he wasn't already he is now well it's it's his hometown he's from la he went to ucla as i pitched with garrett cole at ucla both top three picks in the draft uh, on the same year but, uh, you know, I, I, I always have mixed feelings on him. I, I, there are a lot of things I see him do that I really like, and there are a lot of things that I think he's like, okay, like calm down a little bit yeah, um, and like get over yourself. But uh, there are certain things, like one thing that was really interesting, if you want to watch, watch his YouTube video on uh, the game he pitched in the World Series. And he mm-hmm. breaks down the inning, uh, I believe it was game uh, five, he breaks down the inning where it basically got away from him. And he explains – um, and the series got away. He, he pretty much, he, he could say he blew the series for the Indians. Two uh, losses in a, in a world series, his team lost four games to three. Right. But in, in uh, yeah, in game five, specifically the, the uh, Indians were up one, nothing and they could have won the series. They were up three, one. Uh, and uh, uh, Cubs came back one game, six, one game, seven, but uh, he breaks it down and it's a very interesting breakdown. It's very interesting to see him talk about how he pitches, what the scouting reports are, what he's looking for, what he's thinking on the mound in that situation. And it's, it's a great breakdown and I would recommend it to anyone. And that type of content I think is amazing. And I think Trevor Bauer is very good for baseball in that. Um, some of the other type brashness stuff, it's like, okay, sometimes I think he gets a little too full of himself or a little too thin skinned about certain things. It's like, you're a major league pitcher. You have no, you don't need to be, you know, responding to every issue, you know, sometimes you just let things go, but uh, there is some great things he does and he's, he's different. And sometimes, you know, baseball needs guys that are different. Obviously yeah. everybody can't be the same. So you got to appreciate everybody who's different. And if you hate him, then, then it makes it more fun. Yeah. If your team beats him Exactly. The last summer, Darvish and him had a couple of sort of bouts back and forth Cubs Reds games. They were both pitching against each other, going deep into games against each other. So if Bauer's a guy that you find abrasive, you don't like his personality, you think some of the things that he's done off the field has been inappropriate, you know, however you want to take that with him. And he's had some controversies off the field, then it's fun for you when you beat him. And that's good for baseball too. I I think the sport needs heroes and villains, like I said earlier, and um, you can't deny what he does on the mound. He's obviously an elite pitcher and when you look at this Dodgers rotation now, Clayton Kershaw is their three. I mean, my yeah. gosh, how, how good is it that you've got Clayton Kershaw as your number three pitcher? I, you, you could make the case the Dodgers have five or six guys, maybe seven guys that could be in their rotation that we bet would be better than anybody but Kyle Hendricks on the Cubs. And that sucks. I mean, you could say the same thing about the Padres. Yeah. Uh, and the Yankees, I think, have a very underrated pitching staff. They have a very good pitching staff. And the Mets, even without uh, even getting Bauer, 
uh, you know, DeGrom and Syndergaard and, and Stroman, and they have a very good staff. So those are some elite staff and staffs. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm, I'm going to spend the season staying up till one, two in the morning watching Dodgers and Padres games on MLB.tv because they're going to be the most entertain- two entertaining teams in the league. Yeah. National League West, those two. Mm-hmm. Not so much the uh, Giants, Rockies, no, Diamondbacks, so but the no. top two teams. It'll be a lot yeah. of fun to see. Uh, one other trade we want to touch on here, uh, some ties back to the division. Marcel Ozuna to the Atlanta Braves, four years, $64 million. A fifth-year option could boost that up to $80 million. Uh, he's made some of the worst defensive plays you'll ever see in left field. He's also hit some big-time home runs. Big-time power bat there. The Braves always looking for more offense. So an aggressive move for Atlanta, giving him a chance. And, and when you look at this deal, you think about a DH, there's not going to be a designated hitter in the National League this year. But I think the assumption is that next CBA after this season, DH is coming full time, the NL. So likely most of this contract for Ozuna is not going to be a left fielder where he does struggle clearly. I mean, there was that play in St. Louis where he well, like climbed up the yeah. fence, the ball bounced on the warning track. He fell off the fence. He's not a very uh, graceful left fielder. Let's put it that way. So he'll probably mostly be a DH in Atlanta for the duration of this deal. Marcelo Ozuna is the defender that a lot of people believe Kyle Schwarber was. Well, I, I'm going to, Marcelo's is not very good, but I don't think Kyle Schwarber is very good either. And I think Kyle Schwarber Cubs fans, played him up a little bit like he had some plays like that as well had an arm man he had an arm and Mazzaro Ozuna actually had some decent years in center field with Florida um Miami but uh, Ozuna I think this is a a mistake by a team like the White Sox because I think that's a guy he fits in very well as DH uh you know the twins just got Cruz uh brought him back so but hey he hits the ball hard uh Ozuna and Cruz but Ozuna specifically and so it's like the White Sox, that's a guy they need. And uh, I, you know, him roaming around out in Atlanta, is not going to be fun for them in left field this year, but he hits, he hits a lot. All right. Well, um, any other thoughts, any other points here to touch on uh, transactions, anything baseball wise, the trucks on its way, Randall, that's always an exciting day when you see the uh, truck getting ready for spring training, some cool pictures there from Wrigley field this week as it's off to Mesa with all the equipment. And that means spring training's coming. You know, it's, it's been a, a rough off season. It's been a long, cold, dark off season, a lot more pieces leaving than coming back in. Um, but there's one thing I know for certain from a lot of years of following baseball, those first pictures of, players on the field in Mesa, workout gear, tossing the ball back and forth, taking BP, that's, that's all going to melt away, even if only for a few days. When, when baseball makes its way back, uh, like the groundhog, it, it emerges from the ground in the dead of winter, um, all, all the troubles of the offseason go away for a few days, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And we'll have one more pod before uh, the reporting date, Tuesday the 17th. But you wish all the players who are starting to converge on Arizona and Florida, you wish them uh, health and safety. And you hope MLB is able to get through uh, a full spring training and start their season on time with uh, no complications from COVID. And we wish the league and the players luck in doing that. Yeah, my final thought would be, uh, well, first I'm going to ask you, uh, Ron, a little question. Since you love Coy Hill so much, yeah. what, what university, what college did Coy Hill go to? Fittingly. He was a shocker. Back-to-back weeks. My question is, what college does this guy go to? <laughs> Wichita State of the Missouri Valley. So, uh, well, But I agree with Randall. Um, I'm very excited for spring training. 
Um, I'll say something on that front too here. There were pictures in baseball news this week, right? There were the pictures of the trucks going to spring training way better than the other pictures in the news in baseball this week. Uh, Mickey Calloway being a complete asshole, creeping on people, taking shirtless pictures in the woods, sending them to reporters and uh, other people involved in the game. Trevor Bauer did not like Mickey Calloway. So maybe on that one, Trevor Bauer was right. And, and uh, it's something that it's damn near every week now. There's someone in baseball uh, associated with the Mets <laughs> who's done what? something stupid yeah. in their time here. And that we need that to stop. Let's see more pictures of spring training. I love when we get the pictures of the cacti. The players are out there. It's cold. I saw the forecast in Chicago over the next week. It's cold here in Denver, too. When you see those pictures from spring training, you know baseball's coming, summer's coming. That's a really good feeling. Let's get more of that in the news here over the next two weeks. No more creeping or, or no worse for major league baseball uh, executives and coaches get it together guys come on it's it's completely unnecessary and it's just horrible to see this in the headlines every other day at this point yeah and and to me the the pictures that i always like are the picture of the the sole bag or the sole you know bag of balls or whatever on uh green grass just a nice picture knowing that baseball's coming uh you know a duffel bag a cubs duffel bag out there you saw them all piled up on the truck so, you know, those are what I like because it's like, okay, we're pretty much here. Or that bucket of baseball sitting by third base right next to a, an unworn yep. glove every year. Exactly. Love that. And Randall, I imagine best you're excited. Best shape of his life stories. Oh, at best, best shape of their life stories. Um, this guy feels better than ever. And then yep. Randall, of course, gets the uh, assigning of the baseball numbers mm-hmm. is going to begin to populate here in spring training. That's a big day for you, Randall. It, it is. You know, I do look forward to the teams putting out their spring rosters every year. You see uh, who is new to the major league roster, decided to, to number themselves with what number. You see who of the uh, minor league invitees uh, decided to take, uh, you know, what number. And you can always tell between the veterans and the, uh, the prospects that all were, are assigned consecutive numbers in the 60s and 70s, just so the front office can more easily keep an eye on them. I do enjoy seeing those spring rosters. And uh, Ronan, I know you're a big fan of predictions, so I'm going to put um, – I'm going to put a prediction on the record right here for you. Jock Peterson, a career number 31 in his time with Los Angeles Dodgers. He obviously cannot wear that here, double retired for Maddox and Jenkins. 13 is taken by David Bodie, flip the digits. Number three is taken by David Ross, and you figure he's holding on to that. I'm going to predict on the record that Jock Peterson wears jersey number one for your Chicago Hmm. Cubs. So we will find out probably sooner versus later. And Ronan, Ronan's giving me the, the, the no sir sign here. Ronan, are you, uh, are you not in agreement here? No, no. I, I, I think he needs to write a long time wrong in Cubs number history. It pertains to the Dodgers and the Cubs. If you recall, leading into one of my favorite Cubs seasons of all time, 2001, the Chicago Cubs made an aggressive signing, bringing in former Los Angeles Dodgers great Todd Hunley to be the backstop for the Cubs. Wow. He wanted nine. Damon Buford had number nine. Todd Hunley was pissed that Damon Buford would not give up number nine for him. So he took 99 and Todd Hunley sucked as a Chicago Cub. He was terrible in 2001. He was terrible in 2002. He was flipping off the fans. He was regularly booed at Wrigley Field. The son of a Cubs hero. 1969. Great man. Todd Hunley. So I want to see Jock Peterson reclaim the 99. Bring that positive energy to Wrigley Field. Hit a bunch of bombs. I miss Kyle Schwarber. I don't want to see Kyle Schwarber on the Washington Nationals. 
So I want to like Jock Peterson wearing 99 and left field hitting bombs all over the place and remedying the ghost of Todd Hunley. We're going to talk more about the 0-1 Cubs on this pod. That's a lifelong favorite team of mine. Todd Hunley, not a good memory with the 2001 Chicago Cubs, though. 187 batting average. In the literal sense, Ronan and I on opposite ends of the issue here, me at number one, Ronan at number 99. So numerically, we are on polar opposite ends of this particular issue. I'll put a guess in, and I'll go closer to Randall. I'll say he goes number two, big number you two. You think he's going to take it off Nico Horner? Huh? Oh, or Nico. Oh yeah, Nico's two. I oh. forgot about Nico. Well, I can't go two, then because I was thinking three minus one, big two. <laughs> but Nico, oh. I do love Nico. So we'll have this soon as we get into uh, spring training and the numbers and photos start coming in from Mesa. But we're excited for it. As you mentioned, Randall, one more show next week before spring training gets going. And uh, I'll have something pertaining to the 0-1 Cubs for next week, a story, a memory. That team means a great deal to me, and uh, let's celebrate them as much as we can. Anytime we can mention Julio Zuleta on the podcast, we're going to mention Julio Zuleta, and we're going to revisit that Cub great and uh, everything he did, lighting things on fire in the dugout, all that fun stuff. It was 12-game that, streaks. That 2001 Cubs team was as close to a major league type of a storyline for the Cubs. Obviously, they ended up not making the playoffs, but there were some characters on that team. Best record in baseball at the All-Star break. And then, yikes, it got bad in the second half, and they missed the playoffs. But uh, some great memories with that team as well. And hopefully one of the last times we talk about Todd Hundley on Behind the Yellow Line here. Uh, But thanks for joining us here. Episode number four, we started with Jeff Blauser. We're going to end with Jeff Blauser. Did you know, Randall? In 1997, the last year before Blauser came to the Cubs as a free agent, he finished 21st in National League MVP voting with a stellar season, 308, 405, 482, 17 home runs. His first year with the Cubs in 98, he goes 219, 340 with four home runs in 120 games as the Cubs win the wild card. So kudos to you, Jeff Blauser, wherever you are today, longtime Atlanta Brave two-time Chicago Cub, and uh, he made the playoffs with the Cubs, so he's got that under his belt. Boss of the Braves. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bop.